BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where move aside, Uber Eats, see you later, Grubhub, and take a hike, Postmates. It's DoorDash to the rescue, taking the most efficient route to hand-deliver the Lakers their spicy, hot wins. That's right, wins. Not wings, because the Lakers still don't really have any of those, but wins, they've got two of them, and in a row. Matt Ryan, Matty Ice, he'll deliver you your food, then dig up your grave if you die of food poisoning from that food. Multidimensional, that Matt Ryan is. Anyways, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, we gotta talk about the shot, the door dash route of the century. Where were you and what were you doing when Matt Ryan sent things into overtime? And did you think that shot was going in when you saw the play unfold? I was sitting on my couch uh, and I looked at my phone and I had a text message that said, Matt Ryan is approaching with your threes. Uh, (laughs) Nice. It was, it felt like, I mean, look, nobody, it's like, you can't predict a buzzer beater more often than not. You end up not tying in that scenario. Um, But it was kind of it was kind of interesting that things seemed to be sort of we, like we got too many chances if you know what i'm saying like we mm-hmm. got a pretty good look with a Lonnie 3 that he missed and then they missed both free throws and we got the bull rebound and because we had conserved timeouts we had like two timeouts at that stage of the game and like austin threw the most absurd half court pass i feel like you know it was it definitely got talked about but i feel like not talked about enough was how good of a pass that was yeah Mm-hmm. And then you get this guy to just catch and fire it. I mean, you figure if Matt Ryan touches the ball, like there's a chance it's going to go in if he's able to fling it <laughs> toward in any direction towards the rim. So I just like, you know, the thing I actually like the most about it though, is Matt Ryan hadn't really been playing, you know, in the minutes leading up to that moment and he didn't play in overtime. So like, 
Darvin Ham understood his roster and understood situation and put Matt Ryan in that position to make that shot and utilized his best like pieces in the best, you know, scenarios. But also, can I say, Matt Ryan, what he did there is not uncommon for what we've seen from him all throughout preseason, where he's this guy, and he mentioned it, I was struggling this game. You know, I wasn't shooting well. But because we've seen him, and I know a lot of people have gotten annoyed watching him play, where, where they're like, why is this dude missing so many shots when he actually gets the opportunity to take these shots? You know, if he's not hitting his shots, what can he do out there? And for me, I always just saw it as a good sign that regardless of whether Matt Ryan was 0 of 5 or 1, 1 for 6, he was going to take the next open shot available to him because he knows his role. And for him to continue to trust that shot and trust the process, I think that kind of culminated in him being able to have the confidence to take that game winner three. And it's not like it was a broken play or anything. That play was designed specifically for him. Like all the pressure and limelight was on him. And so that was a huge moment for him. And it's crazy that we're talking about this guy. You mentioned like, yeah, if if Matt Ryan has a shot to to take a three, he's probably going to make it. You're talking about an undrafted dude who was working for DoorDash and his parents' cemetery or his grandparents' cemetery like just a year ago, you know, and who we signed like two days before the season began. So this is huge for Matt Ryan. This is huge for the Lakers because he essentially saved the game. And you're right that Austin Reeves' pass was like right in his pocket. It hit Matt Ryan right in the chest so that all he had to do was just rise up for that three. The best thing that I liked out of the play was Matt Ryan, if you watch the slow-mo version of that entire shot, was he looked to the ground to make sure his feet were set (laughs) behind the three-point line. And that that instantly reminded me of whenever a like an elite wide receiver catches a pass in the end zone and he makes sure he still does like the one-two toe step before falling out of bounds. That's essentially what Matt Ryan did right there. He got the touchdown, aka the game tying three, right at the buzzer. And I don't know if you saw Darvin Ham's like fist pump celebration right after that. But it was like Darvin Ham just won the championship, dude. Like he was so proud of Matt Ryan and he was so proud of the play that he drew up with good reason because it was it was an amazing play with the down screen from AD and the flare out by Matt Ryan and the, again, the half court slash full court pass by Austin Reeves over to the other end. I mean, overall, like what an amazing play, kind of reminiscent of when Austin Reeves hit that game winning three in Dallas last year. So yeah, that was kind of, yeah, it was a shot that, like, I think galvanized the entire team and kind of, I think, was kind of cathartic for Darvin Ham as well, so. It's like, you don't want to overstate the importance of it, for sure, and, you know, we'll see if any of this momentum carries into the next game tonight, but that is the type of shot that can really turn an early season around, especially, you know, you're literally on the verge, I mean, nationally renowned writers are tweeting the Lakers fall to one and six. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. The Lakers are about moments to fall to one and six. Yeah. yeah. Moments before the shot, he hit the shot and you turn that to, you know, two and five with a winnable game, you know, continuing a home stretch, you know, if you can salvage something out of this top uh, first 10 games while, uh, you know, you were kind of expecting things to be sort of difficult given the matchups, then, I don't know. You kind of set yourself in a really good position. And again, I don't want to state the importance, but this early in the season with the schedule we had, like th- that was an important game to win. 
Well, you know, you and I, right before that shot happened, we were texting each other and saying, God, we're one and six. Can't believe this. I can't believe they're not making a trade. And then literally a second later, Matt Ryan hits the game winning or sorry, the game tying three. They go into overtime and get the win. And things just flip on a dime like that sometimes. And you see how the narrative changes so quickly and so drastically from being two and five, two games in a row and one and six losing to the Pelicans without Brandon Ingram. Right. Um, Also, fun fact. Dyson Daniel, the rookie who missed both free throws at the end to open the door for that Matt Ryan three, was the Pelicans' number eight pick in the draft this past summer. The same number eight pick the Pelicans received from the Lakers in the Anthony Davis trade. So beautiful poetry right there. All right, so in today's episode, we will be talking about Darvin Ham's first seven games as a Lakers head coach. We'll talk about any new observations and trends we've seen from the Lakers during this recent run of theirs how we like Benchbrook, and whether things have changed from a macro level as it pertains to shuffling the deck on this roster. Uh, But before we get to the rest of our show, as usual, folks, if we could please take 15 seconds out of your time to search our show out on Spotify and hit the five-star button at the top of our page, that would be Maddie Isorific. And if you haven't yet given us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, please consider shooting us one of those as well on that platform. The more times you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, the more times LeBron James will dump a bucket of ice water that he just had his feet steeped in onto Darvin Ham, and we want more of those moments because it means we won the game. All right, Tommy, let's get into it. Um, Quick NBA Lakers landscape update. It's been an absolutely bonkers start to the 2022-23 season off the court. Yeah. Um, on the court as well, because there are some teams struggling, and you know the Warriors have more losses than the Lakers somehow now. Um, but Steve Nash has been fired. Kyrie Irving has gone off the Kanye West deep end, although he did issue an apology. Uh, but he's suspended for now for at least five games. Uh, Jay Crowder is under contract for the Suns and not playing at all. Kawhi Leonard seems like he's going down, unfortunately, the Brandon Roy path potentially, and it's kind of sad to see. We're not sure that what state the Clippers are going to be in moving forward. Spurs cut Josh Primo, their lottery pick from last year, for showing off his ding-dong too much. Um, as I mentioned, the Warriors have more losses than the Lakers. The Utah Jazz, who the Lakers play tonight, are 6-3. and three. And Indiana Pacer, current Indiana Pacer, Miles Turner, has gone on record to say that the Lakers should definitely trade for him. That was so, nuts. It's bonkers. Everything is bonkers and nuts. Meanwhile, here the Lakers are the best 2-5 and five team in NBA history. The vibes, they are lit. But are vibes enough to carry us through to Thanksgiving is my question. So without delving into too many specifics, through these first seven games, Tommy, what do you make of this 2-5 and five Lakers team after they've won two in a row? Do you feel like you have a better handle of who they are slash what they've done? And I guess you can kind of color your answer around your thoughts on Darvin Ham as a whole because I feel like he's doing the best with what he has and despite the two and five record he's done about as good a job as you could have asked for given the fact that this roster is still in a sort of wonky in-between state so I will say And obviously, I'm not going to directly compare these teams, but the early season this year makes me feel a lot similar to the 2019-2020 team in the early stages where 
it looked like they came out of the gates looking like they were just going to lock people up defensively and they were super scrappy and they were kind of relying on that to win games. It's just that team had a much easier start to the season, I think, um, compared to this team. And, you know, this team, I think, has less margin for error. But I've been, like, pretty impressed, actually, with Darvin Ham and what he's implementing on both sides. I think the offense... The fact that we are the last, you know, 30th in the NBA in offensive efficiency to me is not really reflective of him at all because I feel like when we run sets, we consistently get good looks this year and there would be long periods of stagnation and, you know, nonsense offense, like wasted possessions in the, you know, uh, over the past few seasons. And I feel like that happens, you know, for any team, but for us, it's happened a lot less this year. And you know, the fact that guys aren't hitting open shots is not necessarily his fault, but the fact that he's, you know, been able to get guys to buy in on defense too. And despite our massive size deficiencies, like keep this team competitive on that end has been super impressive to me. Yeah, I agree. His offensive sets to get shooters like Matt Ryan open in very crucial situations has been amazing. Um, The shots haven't been falling yet. The Lakers are still shooting 26% from three. That's obviously an improvement, sadly. But having said that, they still only have one game out of seven, the Nuggets game. I think they shot like 40% from three amazingly in that game. But they still only have one game out of seven where they shot over 25% from three. But I do think a somewhat semi-positive regression is coming. But outside of the better offensive half-court flow, the Lakers are number one in pace, so they've really stuck to that motto of getting it out into, into transition and really forcing the ball down defenses, forcing the ball down defenses' throats. On the defensive end, they are knocking balls loose left and right. You got multiple guys lunging at defenders, getting their hands into space, and then sprinting down the other end. The activity yeah. and frenetic harassment is all there for multiple different players, and it obviously makes sense and aligns with the fact that or aligns with the types of players we have right like the Austin Reeves Patrick Beverly's Troy Brown JTAs of the world those are the types of guys who have especially bought in and you're seeing it trickle down to guys like Lonnie Walker and the rest of the roster so that's been nice to see um yeah for me it all boils back down to um sustainability at the end of the day and talent because the Lakers don't have an effort or competitive drive problem, clearly. It's just a talent and sustainability problem. And I guess we can transition to, does Russell Westbrook's recent play, does Benchbrook click things into place a little bit better while guys try and get their feet under them when it comes to their shots or... or while the team gets its feet under them with with regards to offense in general, does Benchbrook help stem the tide in the meantime? And what have your thoughts been on Russell Westbrook's play off the bench? Yeah, I mean, you have to give the guy props. Um, he's looked really good in the games he's come off the bench. I know the first game off the bench he shot like 6 for 17 or something, but he still looked better than he has. You know, he looked as a starter. It looked... Uh, you know, through most of the preseason and look through for most of the season last year. So the one thing I will say about Russ this year is he is staying competitive defensively. I, I'd mm-hmm. love to see the analytics and in, in terms of maybe where he ranks compared to peers, but 
he's definitely staying engaged and you've seen ham throw him out in these situations. Like you go out and guard, um, Zion, you know what I mean? And you go out and guard like these guys where you have huge size mismatches and sort of plays to Russ's, Russ's ego a little bit. Like if he feels outmatched, he's going to like ramp up his level like that much. So it feels like ham is just putting him in a position a lot more to, to succeed compared to what we saw last year. Um, can Russ sustain this? I don't know, because you don't know how much of last year was Russ just being fully, fully declined, or how much was System, and maybe with System and him finding a little bit more of a rhythm, not saying he'll get back to, like, the Houston year, but also keeping in the back of your mind that, like, that was only a couple years ago, right? So I, maybe Russ can get to something, like, helpful, like, the stats don't matter as much for him, but you know, something like he did last year, but a little bit more efficient or even if the numbers are lower, but I, I don't know. But anyway, I, I think it's, it's been an interesting tweak early in the season here. And I'm kind of excited to see how it continues to develop. Well, this is something we were pining for at the beginning of the season when they said they were going to try things out with Russell Westbrook off the bench and then waited till the last game of the preseason to do so. And seeing things work out the way that we had envisioned where you kind of let Russ be a little bit more like Russ. He's not fully Russ, but he's more of himself off these bench units. He's allowed a little bit of freedom and reign to play like how he likes to play with the ball a little bit more in his hands. And it just makes all the politicking at the start of the season a little bit silly, but I'll give Darvin Ham credit for course correcting pretty quickly within the first, you know, seven games of the season. And so he should get credit for that and give credit to Russ for actually... I don't know if he's actually embraced it or he's just, you know, doing the best with what he has. And, you know, 18 points, eight rebounds, eight assists versus Denver, probably his best game as a Laker context considered. And then the last game, 13.7 rebounds, nine assists, where he almost had a triple double. And that may have gotten him into trouble in the fourth quarter when he was trying to stat hunt for that last assist and ended up with six turnovers. But regardless, in the minutes that he's gotten, Russ has positively helped the team. And kind of the crazier stat right now, and it's give it, granted, it's a very small sample size, but I think the net ratings with Russ and LeBron James and Russ and Anthony Davis are all on the positive end of the ledger. And the net ratings between LeBron and AD are actually in the negative. So read into that how you will. But so far, Russ clearly isn't the problem right now, you know. Um, and the Russ, LeBron, AD lineups are in the positive end of the ledger as well, even though it's like just a slight uptick. But really, the, the best units have come with Russell Westbrook and LeBron James or Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. And so he's done a really good job of facilitating the offense and pushing the ball down defense's throats in transition, taking guys off the dribble, like you said, whenever he has a mismatch and actually finishing well in the paint. And then he's also been taking that corner three and hitting it, you know. Two for four, one for four, one for four the last three games, but at least he's keeping the defenses honest a little bit. And most importantly, he's just putting pressure on the rim and doing more things to make defenses pay for the way that they've been defending him, i.e. not defending him at all on the perimeter. So I think it's a good stopgap for now. It remains to be seen, you know, what type of ceiling this allows the team. I think it gives the team a good floor to tread water, but I don't... I'm not going any further than that at this point. Um, why don't we take it to break first, and then when we return, 
Let's talk about any new observations and trends you've seen from any other guys. And then we can also talk about the macro point of view with this new Benchbrook emergence and whether or not the Lakers should maybe stick this out a little bit longer or continue to pursue a deck shuffling trade. So we'll take it to break and catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we are back. Some quick updated stats, even though we're recording this right before the Lakers take on the Utah Jazz tonight. The Lakers are fourth in the league in rebounding now, which is pretty good, but they are fourth worst in the league in rebound percentage. So take that for what you will. They are still dead last in the league in offensive rating, but they are second in defensive rating right behind the Bucks. So really impressive stuff. Overall, net rating-wise, they are 23rd. And then in pace, like I mentioned before, they are first. So they are really literally pushing the issue of pace. Tommy, any new observations or trends from individual players that you want to talk about or any players you want to highlight in general? I feel like we're going to touch upon the same players we did uh, the last podcast. And I'll start with AD because he has been, in spite of the bad back, such a defensive force on every level, pretty much. He's containing on drop coverage because Damian Jones isn't even playing anymore. He's uh, lunging out to contest on the perimeter. He's helping on the weak side, anchoring the paint, anchoring the defense in general. But the biggest thing is he's rebounding the hell out of the ball and purely out of necessity, right? Because he's starting at the five. Damian Jones has been phased out for now. Um, he's got four straight double-doubles on the season, 16 rebounds and 15 rebounds the last two games. Quite frankly, he has put his money where his mouth is this season despite being banged up and despite looking stiff and sort of lumbering out on the court there. And he's doing the best with what he has and doing everything he can outside of hitting his three-point shot to keep this team afloat. So your thoughts on Anthony Davis still being able to do this in spite of the fact that he's somewhat limited? Yeah, I think he has looked really good. I thought in the last game, it looked like his back loosened up a little bit. I mean, it always feels like over the course of the game, you know, he has a jump or he does something to like sort of tweak it um, and sort of make it, uh, you know, make it a little more stiff feeling. But I, I thought like, you know, he's competing defensively. We're asking him to guard bigger guys, which he's not really used to doing. We're asking him to play at a super high pace. We're asking him to play defensively in a way that he's not accustomed to. You know, he's like kind of used to being up on guys and switching and guarding on the perimeter and doing all those types of things. And we're kind of asking him to drop back. Um, so that, I've been pretty impressed with AD so far. Yeah. So let's move on to Lonnie Walker, who we talked about the last episode, but LW4 is really on one, as the kids would say right now. He has hit 8 of 14 from 3 the last two games. He had 28 points the last game and led the team in scoring. I don't think that's happened a lot in the LeBron James, Anthony Davis era. I think Malik Monk's maybe done it once or twice as well, but he led the team in scoring last game with 28. On the year, he's averaging 16 points, 3.3 rebounds, 2.3 assists. Like I think he's averaging a steal per game as well. Um, but... He's only still shooting 29% from three, but he's doing everything else right when it comes to defending, running the break, staying active, throwing down these ridiculous monster tomahawk jams. The one he had in transition where it looked like he took off a little bit too far, but still hammered it down on a Spurs player trailing him was insane and ridiculous. Um, he's also finding AD for lobs and doing a pretty good job playmaking when he gets the chance. 
overall, he's just bringing like this athletic life and spirit to this team that's a real injection boost whenever we need it. The biggest test now, as it has been the case with Lonnie Walker his entire career, is consistency, right? Like, can he keep this up? He's done a pretty good job through seven games, in spite of the fact that his shot has still not been consistent. We're riding one of those hot streaks right now. But can Lonnie Walker, if, if Lonnie Walker can continue to be a 16.3 rebound, 2.3 assist sort of guy on pretty good efficiency with everything else he's doing, with all the little things he's doing uh, supplementary wise, I mean, this is a really good player who I think is having a breakout season when finally given the chance and really understanding, I think, his NBA mortality and understanding that this may be his last shot to get a pretty good long-term contract. Um, he, I mean, he's, he's, He's done the work and he's improved defensively from like a fundamental standpoint and being more in sync with the team around him and actually utilizing his athletic gifts and his physique to his advantage. And it's just nice to see a young dude come around this way because we've really needed him. I don't know if he's always going to be averaging 16 points. He's almost averaging 16 points out of necessity because of the dearth of offensive options on this team. But if he can continue the rest of the stuff that he's shown... um, yeah, he's so far surpassed my expectations and definitely at the very least lived up to the 6.5 MLE and the Lakers are going to have to make. And this is one of the reasons why we were kind of pissed with the signing initially because I was like, if you're going to sign Lonnie Walker up to this high upside sort of deal, sign him up for two years so we at least have some sort of bird rights control, right? But now, you know, the downside of Lonnie Walker hitting is going to come back to bite us potentially where we're going to have to make a tough decision this upcoming offseason where it's like, okay, how much do we sign Lonnie Walker up for, you know? But regardless, in the present, in the now, Lonnie Walker is killing it. So your thoughts on Lonnie Walker? Yeah, I've been super impressed by him. And in five of the seven games so far, he's scored 15 or more. So on a team that's sort of starving for talent a little bit, like he fills a nice little void for us. I also, I think the success of his season is sort of going to hinge on um, whether he can consistently make threes. He obviously has had two very good games in a row from three where he looks super confident, but his start to the season was very poor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, is he going to be kind of up and down? Is he going to settle into like a mid thirties? Is he going to be even closer to higher thirties? Like that's sort of going to, I feel like set his upside, but everything else he's been doing such a great job. I mean, he's getting so many blocks and steals and, um, is really competing defensively too. His, uh, chemistry with Austin Reeves is pretty much almost like Austin didn't skip a beat losing Malik Monk, right? It just looks like Malik Monk out there. They're like hugging each other on every play. Austin Reeves is like, sorry for throwing that lob too high. And Lonnie's like, don't worry, I can get it. (laughs) So it's kind of funny seeing that synergy form between the two because when those two guys are out there, it changes the Lakers dynamic entirely because we are that frenetic run up and down sort of team that's athletic and has some versatility on the offensive and defensive end so really nice stuff from Lonnie Walker and then I also want to talk about Troy Brown again because this guy's been rebounding the ball really well um he's shooting his three ball really well all of a sudden out of nowhere he had like four for six game against Minnesota I doubt he'll ever shoot four for six again from the rest of the season for the rest of the season but regardless his shot has come around and yeah, he's just this really active, lanky defender who has been a steady force in the lineup on both ends, and he has done what the team has needed him to do. The team needs better rebounding because we're going small and playing 80 at the 5. He's done that. He had, like, what, 10 rebounds the last game? Um, he's playing solid defense wherever he's been placed, and 
it's been good to have that sort of size, but not only size, but also competency on multiple levels and being a really good off-ball threat safety valve that LeBron James and Anthony Davis could go, can go to whenever the offensive stall, whenever the offense stalls, because you'll see, uh, you know, Troy Brown cutting baseline and he's open for a layup or whatever. So um, your thoughts on Troy Brown? He started to, you know, he he's another guy who the last two games has looked quite a bit more comfortable and quite a bit better on both sides. And it's obviously, you know, led to wins, right? Um, because we need these guys to step up. But I guess the thing that concerns me about Troy is if you take out that Minnesota game, he's one for 11 from three so far this season. Mm -hmm. You know, he has a good looking stroke, but you know, he's got to be able to knock it down consistently. He at least gives you the defense and the rebounding, as you pointed out, I've, been really impressed with Troy Brown as a rebounder and he's really embraced this like we're playing really small so guys who are typically you know guards or smaller wings need to get involved and crash the boards and he seems to have embraced that um I'd like to see a little bit of more a little bit more of him maybe playmaking I feel like mm-hmm. Darvin Ham's system puts all of our guards in so many situations to pump fake or drive off of you know penetration and from somebody else and make a play for somebody else. And Trey Brown has always had that sort of upside. And I'd like to see a little bit more of that utilized this year. So far he has that, you know, one game with four assists and he only has two assists in in all the other games. So two assists. No, yeah, I I totally agree with you on the playmaking point because during the off season, Alan and I were tossing back our favorite two man tandems, two, three man tandems. And Troy Brown and Anthony Davis was actually one of the tandems I wanted to see because I felt like Troy Brown could sort of fill that stopgap playmaker role off the bench because he was like a five-star recruit coming out of high school as a point guard, you know? Uh, He's always been a guy who's comfortable with the ball in his hands. And yeah, four assists, one turnover game against Denver. Um, I would like to see him more on ball and creating as well, but I think he's just filling the role that's been asked of him right now where they're almost like, yeah, just be JTA in the meantime, right? And he's done a he's done a pretty good job of being JTA and more in that sense. Um, so yeah, good on Troy Brown Jr. as well. He's averaging like nine points and 6.6 rebounds um, on the season, which is nuts considering he only just started playing like the last five games or so, and he started the last three. Do you like him as a starter? I've liked him as a starter so far. I, I think it, it sets a good tone defensively because so many teams have wings or, you know, bigger wings nowadays, and we need somebody out there to, like, put up some resistance before these guys get too hot right away. So I like him as a starter, and he helps on the boards, you know, since AD is doing so many things defensively. Yeah, agree. Um, are there any other players you want to highlight for better or for worse? Only other you know, person, I guess I want to make a comment on is LeBron so far, I I guess like not LeBron's play because I think he's gotten off to a slow start. Um, but I guess like the fact that his shooting has been the way it's been so far this season gives me like just a small glimmer of optimism that this team has like something that, you know, could eventually work, you know, offensively as LeBron gets himself in better into better shape and maybe plays off some of these minor injuries and illnesses he's had so far in the small sample size. But, you know, he's shooting 22% from three. He was 0 for 7 in the last game. He takes about, you know, 20 to 25% of our team's attempts from three every given night. So a pretty big chunk of our attempts from three are going to a guy who's shooting like 13 to 15%, you know, sort of below his career average. 
I don't think we're going to be a good shooting team in any event, but I think LeBron's improvement is going to help. And I think we'll also hopefully, you know, make the role players feel a little bit less pressure to knock down a hundred percent of their open looks because like LeBron is actually starting to hit some. So he got off, I, you know, last year, first five games of the season, I think he was shooting low forties from the field and low thirties from three. And he got going a lot better in November and December. So I'm, I'm confident he'll pick it back up and, and go on a tear at some point soon, hopefully. I do have a question for you, though, with regards to that, because how much of it is LeBron just struggling and how much of it is him not being able to make these shots because he's like AD having to carry the load everywhere else. And so he's forced to sort of settle for these shots, because I feel like when LeBron James gets going from three, there's almost a flow and rhythm and momentum to it. But it feels like a lot of the threes he's taking now is almost like, well, this game's over. I'm just going to shoot this shot. Or, man, there's nothing going on, and I know these guys aren't going to hit their open shots, so I'm just going to take this shot without any sort of rhythm behind it. And I feel like that's contributing to, you know, these poor poor shot selection and just not being able to hit threes because just like there can be an avalanche of three-point making, the Lakers are the exact opposite. It's like a snowball of non-three-point shot making, of three-point misses everywhere. And because LeBron James doesn't have the requisite amount of support around him from like a roster construction standpoint, I'm just a little, I'm questioning whether it's like as simple as, oh, LeBron James will turn it around from three. I think he will if guys turn it around from three or the roster gets more shooters, but I'm, I guess I'm not too convinced that it's just one of like those LeBron James is in a slump because I think there's a little bit of, yeah, this, the talent deficit of this team and the shooting deficit of this team is sort of factoring into him struggling. Does that make sense? I hear you on that. I think a big thing too, though, is like, we're we're the number one, you just said, right? We're the number one pace in the NBA with a 38 year old de facto starting point guard, you know, in his like 20th season. So I think a lot of it, like beyond the lack of talent around him, because I don't know, he, he, yeah, he had more shooters last year, but he did not have a ton of talent. He was still taking a lot of very contested threes and he was hitting them at a high clip. I think, I think early season issues from threes to me are a lot of it are, he just doesn't have any legs. We're playing at such a frenetic pace and he hasn't had it. He played in two and a half preseason games ish. Um, so I think he's, I think part of it is just the legs aren't there yet. Yeah, and and, and look, probably his, all of the above. Yeah. And his 43 or 44%, whatever he's shooting from the field overall is so far below his season averages. Like he is just missing so many shots at the rim that are normally like money for him. Yeah, he also needs to get to the free throw line. This whole team needs to get to the free throw line because yeah. I'm sure you guys have seen the stat that the Lakers, in terms of like the types of shots they're getting in the paint, like leads the league, and yet they are one of the worst free throw attempts, free throw attempt teams in the league as well. So something has to give us at a certain point, and the refs should start giving, you know, our stars some of these calls. But I'm not sure whether that'll ever happen. All right, to close this episode, let's talk about like the macro look of outlook of this team given this two game winning streak maybe it's a three game after the utah jazz game although i i don't know i'm not jumping the gun yet on this team i i'm not i'm definitely not being a prisoner of the moment because with regards to tonight's utah jazz game it could literally go either way i wouldn't be surprised if we won i wouldn't be surprised if we lost and that is kind of indicative of how i feel about the team right now I think the vibes are great, and that's something that you can point to, especially when you look at 
what's going on with the Brooklynettes over there. It's an absolute dumpster fire. And maybe even compare it to like the Phoenix Suns or the Golden State Warriors, the Lakers somehow look like the more sane and stable team. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of that, though, is due to Darvin Ham. And one thing that we didn't point out with Darvin Ham when we were talking about him at the top of the episode is just, dude, he's really got all of these guys to buy in, including Russell Westbrook, even when he's up there unhappy about having been benched overtime. In overtime, you see his relationship with the rest of the guys cheering Matt Ryan on, you know, um, buddy buddying it up with Darvin Ham. I mean, these guys will run through a wall for Darvin Ham, right? And I think that's the best thing I can say about Ham outside of the fact that he actually has good schematics and fundamentals along with, with him. You know, it's, it's nice to see because I was a little bit scared, and I think you were too, that Darvin Ham was just shaping up to be this sort of flowery rhetoric, Rob Palenka sort of dude, this Mark Jackson, Doc Rivers sort of Ubuntu guy that just rallies everybody together, but then after that doesn't really have a concrete plan behind all the words and talk, right? Um, but it's nice to know Darvin Ham will st- always start off with the flowery verbiage and the poetry and sometimes even the politicking, but when he senses that something is wrong, it seems like he's pivoting quicker and he actually has a plan behind that pivot, which is very refreshing to see. So given that, the vibes look good with the team. And um, what are your thoughts on what the Lakers should do now? Should they still be aggressively trying to pursue a deal or should they continue to take a wait-and-see approach with regards to how Westbrook off the bench is looking like? I mean, I guess continue to do what they've been doing, right? So, like, they're clearly not going to budge on the two first-round picks thing. I mean, at this point, we're almost, what, seven games into the season. We're going to be 10 games plus into the season by the end of next week, you know? So, that... It just, as time passes, it makes less and less sense to send multiple picks, right? If it didn't even make sense to them a month ago, how could it possibly make sense to them now, you know? Wait, can can I push back on that, though? Because I feel like while some people are taking this Lakers, you know, quote unquote resurgence as, hey, look at this team and what they can do and like look at Westbrook off the bench and how he's making everything click into place. Maybe we do have something here. While some people are taking that as let's take the team as it is because they're finding something here. I take that as look at what this team can do, given even given how broken and wonky the roster still is. And I am not taking for granted Russell Westbrook playing nice for now before he continues to get agitated that he's sitting fourth quarters and overtimes, you know? For me, it's like, given the flashes that we've seen, the fact that we aren't 0-7 or 1-1 of 6, the fact that we aren't as desperate as we looked last week, for me, that that's even more impetus to go all in or even give up a first with Russell Westbrook. And if you're not going to give up two firsts, Tommy, then change your outlook on taking on longer term salary for 2023 you know because for me given what i've seen it doesn't make me say oh let's keep westbrook and ride this out it makes me say oh let's trade westbrook for real and really try to make something happen with this roster because there are actual there's actually something here that can be done and i don't want to be again i i feel like too many people are being prisoners of the moment and while benchbrook gives you a nice floor when everything is copacetic and going well our ceiling is capped, in my opinion. And given that we're in a space where our schedule is a little bit softer this upcoming stretch, for me, that's the perfect time to be aggressive 
to re-engage in trade talks with the Pacers, given Miles Turner is like, hey, you should trade for me. And um, maybe even look at some new Dark Horse teams, i.e. look at the Orlando Magic, who have $10 million of Mo Bamba sitting on their bench doing nothing. They also have Jonathan Isaac there, Chumo Kiki on the bench. Or look at the Raptors. They're not even playing dudes like, you know, Juancho Hernan Gomez. So for me, it's like, whether it's a Westbrook trade preferably or, okay, you want to see the Westbrook thing out, Make an ancillary trade for better size, better wing depth, you know? Um, to me, my whole thing is be aggressive and be grateful that you have somewhat of a stopgap plan and don't take that for granted as something that will continue going on, you know, or something that will stay consistent because I think you risk going back to looking even more desperate again once this initial wave of loony NBA re- reacclimation across the league dies down. So that's kind of my take of it like I feel like what we've seen so far makes me even more certain that it is worth it that the Lakers should go all in or even a step down from all in and make ancillary trades with one first round pick in Westbrook or fine a Kendrick Nunn Patrick Beverly first round pick deal whatever whatever you want to say I feel like this this roster has so much potential it's just up to us whether we want to realize that or not so anything else to add yeah, no, I don't disagree with any of that. I'm just taking the assumption that, you know, if they valued the two first round picks as not being worth making a move a month ago, I I imagine not not anything to do with what they think this team can accomplish or not accomplish. I just think they're viewing these two first rounders as like a a strong asset and the assets that we would be getting back are getting weaker by the day because they have less and less time with us. So that that's the only point I, I guess I was trying to make. I, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just estimating what I sort of think that, you know, they're how they're sort of viewing it. So I, I still that, think, do you think that's the right way of looking at it though? No, Even I don't think that's the right way of working oh, okay. <laughs> looking at it, but I would have made the trade a month ago. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. So that that's, that's the, that's the thing. I think, the thing that this team is going to try to do, which is an absurd strategy to me, but I think what they're going to try to do is see if they can tread water for long enough to where someone bites on a like a Russ and a first rounder to like get out of a contract. Like maybe the Brooklyn Nets, you know, Kyrie ends up retiring early or doing something crazy and unexpected, right? And then Kevin Durant is like, I'm not playing anymore. I'm going to set out the games until you trade me. And then they realize they have to just like blow it all up. You know, maybe they have a fire sale and and they can move a bunch of guys for one expiring, you know? So there's a lot of things that could happen. I, again, I personally would not, I'm not advocating for the position of like, let's just hold on and hold on and keep trying to tread water it because it doesn't really make sense to me. But I, I understand that they might be taking that perspective. So, I, you know, whatever. I, I I guess there's not a whole lot we can do. Maybe we can try to move Kendrick Nunn because he's clearly out of the rotation at this point already for maybe a more helpful wing, but I'm not really sure who's out there who somebody would take for, or, you know, give up for Nunn. So. Yeah, I think for me, I just keep looking back. And I know we, we overexhaust this topic, but... You just look at what Miles Turner and Buddy Heald did last week where like Miles Turner had 27 points and five blocks and Buddy Heald is shooting 44%, hitting four threes a game. And I'm just like, do we really, are we really waiting it out for Kevin Durant or someone bigger when we can just have, because I don't even think I like the three-star model of looking no, at I hate the three-star model, you actually. know? And, and let me, let me put it this way. Like 
you're trading a guy who is barely a top eight rotation guy for two guys who would for sure be top like six rotation guys, you know? So it's like, it sort of creates this interesting situation where like right now we are so heavily reliant on Lonnie Walker to be like our third (laughs) best player. And Lonnie Walker would go from like needing to be our third best player to like needing to be like our seventh best player if we did this trade, right? Because it like slots everybody down and it, it just like gives us so much needed depth. And I think that's what we need is high, higher quality depth as opposed to hunting for a third star and filling it in with a bunch of minimum guys. Well, and Matt Ryan is currently our sixth best player and our best shooter, period. You know what I mean? So it slots him down correctly. And to your point, better depth equals better sustainability. Because to me, my whole question is, okay, we're treading water, but how long does this team tread water? Because LeBron James and Anthony Davis continue to wear down by the game doing so much. You know what I mean? And so if in any trade, regardless of Kevin Durant or whatever, we need we need a competent big man coming back, you know? We need a Miles Turner type. If you're not going to get yeah. Miles Turner, then who's the next big you're going to get? You know, so it's just things that we I, I hope they're aggressively thinking about and sort of not just sitting on their hands because all of a sudden people are distracted by the dumpster fire that's going on in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like I hope they don't see that as an excuse to let things play out and that they're actual actually working every angle to improve this team because we have a great coach here. We have a coach that can get behind his players and the players will run through a wall for him. We need to take advantage of the positives that we have right now and just not sort of be complacent because things look quote unquote. Okay. Um, So with that said, that'll do it for our episode. We'll see how the Lakers do against the six and three jazz. It'll be a really interesting game to monitor just because I feel like the Utah jazz are giving the Lakers a template of see what happens when you just pull together a bunch of competent and modern NBA players together, even if they don't have cohesion. Like, we have shooters, we have guys, we have big men, we have size, and in spite of the fact that these guys haven't played together, they're doing stuff because their roster makes more sense, you know? And for me, it's like, I hope Rob and Jeannie are getting the hint that it's like, oh, yeah, I guess even when you're not trying to be competitive, you can be competitive because the pieces fit a little bit better and we don't have six guards and now we don't have four guys who are DNP'd at the start of the season because it's not working out. You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, hopefully we win our third straight and coming out of the weekend, you know, we have a couple, you know, games coming up here, another game with uh, another bout with the Jazz, some games with the Spurs, the struggling Clippers that I think we can get some wins here and hopefully make it back to 500 and above. So we'll see. And hopefully in the meantime, the front office is doing their job. So with that said, we'll catch you guys next time. Tommy, I'll catch you later. Peace.